This is episode number 390 of the Enterfight Podcast. This is the Health and Fitness Show, the biggest health and fitness podcast in the Middle East. Welcome back, folks. Really appreciate you guys taking the time to tune into our show. Don't forget to download our three-minute shows out every Sunday. And as always, big shout-out to our show sponsors, Smith Street Paleo. This week, Andre has a special guest, so I'll let him kick that right off. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Health and Fitness Podcast. Today, we're joined by Mike Molloy. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show, and um, I'm sorry for the little delay we had here in the beginning. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Why, don't you, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know how I know you. I know you through. Um, we have some of the coaches from Inner Fight at the Gym, um, Amanda and Carmen Bossman, who's been working with you yeah. or still, still are working with you. And um, yeah. they seem super, super keen. So I knew that we had to have you on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, happy to be on the show first off. Thanks for that. Um, so who am I? Um, I'm the owner of uh, M2 Performance Nutrition. It's my own little company that I started. And uh, I am a nutrition coach for uh, a number of CrossFit athletes and um, a ton of regular people, you know, that are just looking to get healthy and fit along uh, along the way as well. Yeah. Um, it's been it's been quite a journey. The last couple of years have really seen a lot of growth for for me and the company, but it's been a blast. And you know, uh, people like Amanda and Carmen and uh, you know, a ton of other athletes just um, make it all worthwhile. They're they're so much fun to work with. You know, how does this whole thing with nutrition start for you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, I have a bit of a, like a non traditional background. So okay. um, I got my PhD in immunology and microbiology back in like 2011. And, um, I had started, you know, doing CrossFit myself more like in 2008 or so. And, you know, I think like most people, when they first start this whole thing, like don't really pay a whole lot of attention to their nutrition. Um, and you know, at one point I remember being like, man, I like, I gotta do something about this. Like the exercise is great, but I'm not really seeing the kinds of, you know, um, the performance that I want and everything else. And let's, let's see what nutrition can do. And so I started just reading and paying attention to these things. And right. you know, because I have this background in science, I can do a pretty good job of sort of investigating and, um, you know, digging into the research. And so started to teach myself some things and that eventually evolved into me doing a couple of nutrition seminars, uh, picking up a, you know, a handful of clients and, you know, um, just working with them and that kind of like kind of petered along for a full, you know, a number of years. I never yeah. really thought it would be, like a career for me, to be honest with you. Um, but I did this athlete camp down in, uh, in about an hour and a half South of me. And I met, uh, this athlete there. Her name is Tasia Persevich. Okay. And, uh, nowadays people probably know her. She's, you know, uh, gone to the CrossFit games as an individual athlete. She's now training on CrossFit mayhem, uh, down in Cookville. Wow. And so, yeah. And so, um, she and I started working together, um, and, you know, she's, you know, by honestly all of her own effort and her coach's effort, um, with just a little bit of support for me, she, you know, she made it to the games and started to get a little bit more notice and, um, you know, becoming high profile. And so she started to introduce me to a couple other people like Mackenzie Riley. Um, Mackenzie and I have been working together for a couple of years now. Uh, she introduced me to people like Carly Fuhrer, Nicole Holcomb. Um, and then, and things just started to spread and spread, um, I started to get hooked up with a couple of gyms like Jason Layden. He runs CrossFit Milford. They always have a team at the games. Um, right. You know, Danny, he introduced me to Danny Horan and Haley Adams. And, you know, um, you know how the internet works. Like it's all, it's all, it's all Instagram these days. Yeah. So, you know, next thing you know, um, 
I had people wanting to work with me. And so, uh, decided to make a kind of a big career change, you know, move, move in the direction of opening my own business, um, starting this nutrition company and, you know, things, things have been going great, man. It's an absolute blast. Wow. That's, I mean, how many athletes are you working with? Cause it sounds like it took off really, really quickly. Yeah. So, um, myself, I've got, uh, something on the order of like 75 athletes. Um, and, um, I have a small team of coaches now about six people, and between the six of them, they probably handle another, I don't know, 120 clients. Wow. And so, um, yeah, I mean, realistically, we're still really small compared to some of the other, uh, other nutrition companies out there. But, you know, um, I'm, I'm really happy with where things are going. We've got a great product. Um, people are really happy and we're generating great results. And I think, you know, that's the most important thing for me right now is to make sure that, you know, uh, grow in a controlled way that allows us to keep, um, Keep, keep the product quality really, really high. And talking know? about the product, what is your, you guys' yeah. approach with nutrition in sure. general? Like, let's talk about yeah. elite athletes versus average gym members. How does it sure. work? How is it set up? Yeah. So, you know, when, when people come and decide that they're going to work with, you know, uh, with me or one of my coaches, you know, they're, they're really looking for results. And so, um, yeah, I would say 95% of the time we're going to ask them to do some sort of macronutrient tracking. Yeah. You know, um, people hear macros and they kind of assume that basic, like if it fits your macro strategy, you know, if you want to shove a, you know, pint of ice cream in there, go for it and stuff like that. And that's not really what we do. You know, certainly we're not going to be hyper restrictive with our clients, but you know, we emphasize, um, quantity and food quality at the same time. Um, now, as getting to your question about like an athlete, like uh, CrossFit Games, uh, was training maybe you know, four or five times a week for an hour a day. You know, those those two people are going to look different. You know, um, yeah. your your average gym client, I'm going to say, you know, I want somewhere between eighty and ninety percent of their food to be, you know, micronutrient dense um, because the total amount of food that they have to eat allows for it. Right. Um, right. Now, when you get to talking just about someone like, you know, we'll say Carmen, right? You know, when she's, you know, in peak training, training mode, looking at, you know, four, maybe five hours a day, like she has a pretty dramatic, you know, calorie demand on her body. And there's just not enough <laughs> stomach space to eat that many sweet potatoes, fruits and veggies <laughs> to get the number of carbs that I'm asking someone like her to eat. So, you know, like, when she's, when she's going hard like that, we're looking at something on the order of like 400 grams of carbs a day, you know, yeah. probably something in the range of like a 27, 2800 calorie diet. Um, you know, I have other athletes that eat more than that. You know, like I think probably my biggest macro consumer, her name is Brittany Weiss out in the West coast at CrossFit Invictus. I think, you know, I think her number is at like 150 grams of protein, 90 grams of fat and 425 grams of carbs. So like Man. we're closing in on, yeah, we're closing in on 3000 calories there. Seven days a week, and you know. A female so crossfitter, that's that's some yeah. big, big numbers. Like, what we compare that exactly. to a regular gym member that trains like five times a week. What do you think they would? Right. Be? So, yeah. So, a regular gym member training five days a week, we'll we'll assume roughly the same body weight. They're probably going to be eating something between like, you know, it's, everyone's a little bit different, but we'll assume somewhere between sixteen hundred to two thousand calories, right? So, you know, an elite level athlete is going to add a thousand calories to their diet um, to compensate for that training. You know, yeah. We're, so, like when you said, for example, four hundred calories or four hundred grams of no four hundred grams yeah. of carbs, of, uh, yeah. of carbs a day. I mean, I know for myself, when you train a couple times a day, it's it's super difficult <laughs> to get that amount of food in yeah. 
throughout the whole right. day unless like your training is really spread out nice and yeah. nicely but that's not always the case and and <laughs> what are the sort of tricks to to get in you know those nutrients yeah absolutely so you know in that situation we gotta we gotta we can't be afraid of nutrient dense food right so you know things that have a, a lot of calories for a little amount of volume so uh oatmeal rice you know, uh, even some liquid and powder type, uh, food sources are going to be a really strong, like uh, suggestion for me, you know, especially when, when the weather's hot, it like, you know, when you get hot, the last thing you want to do is eat. Right. Yeah. And so having, having a liquid carb source can make a huge difference. Um, especially in that like post-workout window when, you know, recovery is so important and we're looking at getting like, you know, a minimum of 50 grams of carbs post-workout, you know, every time. So, you know, it comes down to planning, um, Yep. You know, you can't kind of leave things up to chance. Like you've got to be, you, you can't just be like, oh, I'll just shove it in at the end of the night because that that's going to make things really uncomfortable and it's not the best strategy in the world. So, but if you start off the day with a really solid breakfast, you know, give yourself a couple hours to digest, train, get a post-workout, you know, recovery, you know, shake and then a meal in, you know, maybe hit a second session. Then you, then you start to really do some damage in the kitchen. And, um, before you know it, you're, you're, you're where you need to be. Um, it's hard, but it, you know, I mean, We've got, I got probably uh, 30 athletes that work with me that train, you know, that, that style yeah. and they make it work, man. You know, it's not easy, but they make it work. One of the other things you need to consider other than, for example, a training schedule, I guess when you work with clients that are super lead yeah. and they train a few times a day, you need to organize them having to eat the right food before training, after training. And I guess that the yeah. diet is sort of, is sort of built up accordingly to how the training schedule is built. What other things are there to consider when creating a diet? Yeah. So, I mean, the, it's sort of interesting, you know, the, the diet stuff is actually, I'll be honest, it's pretty straightforward. You know, like we give um, recommendations and then generally people in this community do a pretty damn good job of eating like well, right? So we're going to go make sure that they're getting enough micronutrients in there. So it's not like all oatmeal and white rice and bread and stuff <laughs> like that. It's, it's those things plus a bunch of fruits and veggies on top of it, right? So that they're getting the best of both worlds. Um, and then, you know, realistically, we we go beyond like just diet. When I work with an athlete, like I'm going to dial into as much of their life as I possibly can to try to help them optimize all of it because it all gets back to nutrition. So, like a good example is sleep. So, you know, when I work with an athlete, like I'll probably ask them three, four, five times a day or a week, excuse me, like how how's your sleep? Like what did you sleep last night? And you know, the reason is like it's easy to make a diet work like, or to, to have the focus to eat 2,800 calories a day when you slept for eight hours, like you're in a good mood, you know, spirits are high, the body's in a good place, but yeah. all of a sudden, you know, you get one night of six hours of sleep the next day, like your, your whole mindset changes, your body's basically gone into survival mode. And it's like, it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to spend time digesting today. I just want to get my, like my ass back in bed, you know? And so like all of that, you know, dealing with personal stresses, like, all of these things are things that, you know, um, we try to help athletes with because it all impacts the nutrition at the end of the day. So the most important thing other than or that affects nutrition is definitely sleep. What would the second Absolutely. thing be? Just work stress uh, or would it be? Yeah, I would say I would say stress, like in general stress. You know, so I've done this long enough now that I've seen people chugging along, like making great progress. We'll say either body composition or performance. Things are going really, really well. And then, you know, some type of stress will come up in their life. Maybe, you know, it's a relationship stress with a significant other or a parent gets sick or there's a financial stress on them. And you can just, you can see the progress start to deteriorate, you know, um, 
the everybody's using these like you know uh, like heart rate variability monitors now like whoop and things like that and you, you can actually see the data right like you can watch all of their metrics go down even though they're still trying to sleep eight hours a night they're still trying to take care of their diet and everything else um it it makes a huge a huge huge difference you know yeah. um it can add body weight and it like the body doesn't do a really great job of perceiving mental or emotional stress versus physical stress, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, the stresses that we face in today's modern sort of life, like bills and, you know, um, all of the things like that are completely different, like than evolutionarily we were built to deal with stress. And so, you know, um, it, it all responds the same way with like the same hormonal response of producing like one, essentially one basic stress hormone, you know? Yeah. So. Interesting. What, um, yeah. when we're looking at, cause I mean, many of the listeners are in the fitness industry and mainly are CrossFitters. So yep. when you're speak, when you have your 70 clients, what are the main mistakes that you see these clients make other than sleeping too little? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is that, you know, I would, I would estimate that when someone emails me or, you know, reaches out, I would, I would guess that somewhere between 80 to 90% of people are under eating. Under eating, um, under eating. Yeah. That's men and women. You know, sometimes people think it's, it's probably more women than men. And that's just like, it's not true. It's both. Um, so, you know, I've written a couple of, of blog posts on my, on our website about, you know, the underfed athlete. And I think, I think it's a big issue within the community. Um, you know, we've got examples of people coming to me doing, we'll say three to four hours a day of training and eating between 14 and 1500 calories a day and not losing weight. Right. Yeah. And you know, these people are being told by other coaches, other programs, like, Oh, you know what? Like you just need to reduce like calories more calorie like, well, deficit. Like, the, the good yeah, old classic. Right? Like, yeah. Just, just keep on driving like deeper into that calorie deficit. And the reality of the situation is that, you know, um, the body in that situation is not going to burn body fat, right? It's a, your, your body is in a like pretty hyper stress state. And when the body's in that state, it's going to decide to store the fuel that you do give it as fat, Right. Yeah. Because who knows when you're going to eat again. So let's just take the foods you gave me and let's shove it into like fat tissue. And you know, the stuff called muscle that, you know, you, you're constantly trying to build more of, let's break that down because you know what, realistically, we don't really need the muscle right now because we're so stressed. And so, you know, we have examples all the time. I would say, you know, at least a couple of months where we'll add somewhere between 500 and a thousand calories to a person's diet and they'll lose 10 pounds. Right. That is just crazy. Yeah. And it's not even rare, right? It's not like some odd thing that happens to us. It happens all the time nowadays, yeah. you know? So we'll, we'll slowly kind of build their, their carbohydrate intake up. You know, all of a sudden they start sleeping better. Their metabolism essentially goes from, um, you know, fuel storage to fuel consumption. They start working out better. Next thing you know, performance in the gym is going up and, you know, a couple months in and we see, you know, everything that people are looking for, you know, abs are popping and, Um, they feel, they feel a million times better, right. Their moods improved and, you know, it's, it's really incredible to see, but you know, um, so if you had to ask me like, what's the one big mistake that people make is that they're drastically under eating for the amount of work that they're putting into this, into their lives. And specifically, they're really, they're really under eating on the carbs. Like everybody's got this phobia of carbs these days and the media doesn't help that, you know, and, um, ketogenic diets and, you know, even though the, the paleo diet doesn't necessarily promote itself as low carb, it kind of ends up being low carb at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, you know, all these things are kind of working against us as like nutrition coaches. We've got to kind of battle, battle that. 
like I understand it is that at the end of the day, a really glycolytic sport. It, you know, that energy is that, that pathway is built off of carbs. Yeah. And so we really do need in our diet to, to make this whole thing work. What are the top carbs that you, you, uh, you recommend for your clients and in the yeah. CrossFit industry? Right. So, um, again, it's gonna be a little bit different from say, you know, your average sort of gym goer to your elite level athlete, right? Yeah. So for someone who's doing, we'll say four days a week of exercise, an hour a day, um, and then going home, maybe they get, you know, 5,000, 6,000 steps and, you know, walking around. Um, they could probably get most of that from like sweet potatoes, um, you know, fruits and veggies, like most of it, right? Wow. Um, regular potatoes too. They can, they can make that work for sure. You know, there's no problem with them though, putting in some white rice, um, some oatmeal. Um, if they don't have any bloating or, you know, uh, issues with bread, then go for that as well. Um, but when you start to talk about, high level athletes, you know, the people like Carmen, um, now, now like my favorite carbs are going to be white rice and oatmeal. I'll be honest, you know, um, and then some sort of carb powder to help them recover from workouts. Like, you know, um, I think there's this fear of like powdered or liquid carbs in this community. Yeah. And for your average gym goer, they don't need them, but in the elite athlete community, they're a really powerful tool. You know, one of the things that we want to do post-workout is we want to spike our blood sugar, like, dramatically. And the reason we do that is because it drops the production of the stress, homo- uh, stress hormone called cortisol and ultimately allows us to get into recovery mode better, right? Yeah. And so, you know, something like a cyclic dextran or, you know, something along those lines, um, it really has made a huge difference in, in a lot of the people that I work with, like, in their recovery from training session to training session. You know, we'll, we'll say, you know, um, a person is doing two training sessions a day, morning and afternoon, the morning session, as soon as they finish, if we give them 25 grams of protein and 50 grams of carbs, you know, immediately after the workout, that's going to help them in session two, uh, later that day. And when session two is done, they don't need to go hit a, like a protein and carb shake then, but they can go have a regular meal, right? Okay. Yeah. And because it's a longer recovery time before they're going to get back in the gym and they're most likely going to sleep eight hours a night as well. So they'll be okay. Um, and I guess you know, also because that that drink or that shake is a lot easier to digest. Yeah, right. Exactly. So the there's much less digestion time that's going to go into that, right? So it's it's all about getting that 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 carbohydrate into the body, spiking the blood sugar, and allowing the the body to kind of perceive that and stop the stress response from training, right? Yeah. Let's be honest. There's no there's no sport that's more stressful for the body than CrossFit, right? I can't think of any for sure. No, yeah, it's just, it's definitely the most like potent stimulus that I've seen in any athletics around for sure. And it, it's quite funny because it only seems like this whole nutrition kind of wave or bomb has exploded throughout the last one or two years. Like we never yeah. heard about Rich being on any diets or, you know, any of those big, no. big names. And all of a sudden now everyone is working with full meal plans <laughs> and, and all yeah. of this stuff. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, I think the community's like doing, um, it's almost like crowdsourcing, like the, the best way to perform and generate performance. Right. And so, you know, there's a couple of probably high profile athletes that started working with, you know, other, other high profile, you know, um, companies will say, uh, working against gravity or RP and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, of course they've got, they've got great physiques. And so next thing you know, like then the word starts to spread, um, and you know, the, that whole idea of working with the nutrition coach has definitely exploded. It's definitely more popular with women than men. Um, which is something that I'm still trying to battle against. You know, I, I don't think it helps that 
the last, we'll say, four, six, last seven CrossFit Games champions on the men's side just basically eat whatever they want. <laughs> um, you know, that, that definitely doesn't help the stigma of having, of having guys work, um, work with the nutrition coach. But, you know, I have elite level guys that, that work with me. Um, someone like George Sanchez from the, from the Northwest, you know, he's, he's a monster, right? He's an absolute animal. Um, and I can tell you that working together, we've, we've seen increase in his performance just from making sure that he's eating enough. You know, that's a guy who's 210 pounds and, realistically, I don't think he was eating enough food before we started working together. And now he is like, he's re- maintaining the basically the same body weight despite adding roughly 600 calories a day. Okay. And you wow. know, from everything from, from our conversations, you know, he's sleeping better. He's recovering better. Um, his training has been absurd. And so, um, you know, we do see a lot of progress in male athletes as well, for sure. One thing I've noticed is that there's a lot of pictures of now female athletes that look a lot more ripped than sure. they used to do, and I've been wondering if there's, if the women being more ripped or more like lower body fat percentage is actually a good thing for the sport yeah. and how it kind of affects uh. <laughs> everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. So let's let's take that in two pieces if yep. you don't mind. So let's let's think: is it is it good for them first off, right? So, um, everyone's, everyone's a little bit different, but there's, you know, there is an argument to be made that like you can have too low of a body fat percentage for the sport, right? And what would that you know, be? Uh, is that in very individual or is there kind yeah, of? Yeah. Oh, it's, def- it's definitely going to vary individual to individual, but you know, like the female body, it really doesn't want to drop below. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm going to use a very aggressive number and say 11%, right? Like you can get below it, but like things are going to probably start to go sideways on you in that point. Um, loss of menstrual cycle. Um, things of that nature that can definitely start to arise. And so, you know, um, can you still perform at an extremely high level? Absolutely. Are you compromising your health at some point with that? Absolutely. Um, and that's okay, right? Like to yeah. some extent, but yeah, I don't, I, mean, I don't think you necessarily, I don't think you necessarily have to, like, I don't, I don't necessarily know that you're going to perform better, you know, 2% body fat lower, right? Again, everyone's very individual specific. And so, um, it's hard to make general statements here, but I do think there's a sort of lower minimum that like you don't want to go below. And I don't, I don't think for the most part, too many people are, there might be some exceptions to the rule there, but, um, for the most part, like, I think I see people leaning out, but they're not, they're not getting to the point where they look like they're doing figure competitions as compared to CrossFit. Yeah. Maybe, maybe in a couple of cases, but you know, um, you know, I don't know their nutrition coach. I don't know what their goals are. I don't know what they're eating. And so I can only speak for my athletes and say that like, you know, of course, of course we like, we have aesthetic goals. We have, you know, appearance based goals because look, every one of us wants to look amazing. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a secondary goal to the performance. Right. And I think, I hope that's true for, you know, other athletes in the community. Now, to get to your bigger question of sort of like, what does that mean for the, for the community as a whole? I, I do think there's a bit of a, like, um, I, an issue is the wrong word, right? But it's hard when all you see on Instagram is, like, you know, six-packs galore and, like, upper backs that look like mountain ranges and stuff. <laughs> and, and like, you don't really recognize that that's – that may be, like, post-workout or with some really good lighting going on and that the person maybe stood in the mirror for a good four to five minutes to figure out exactly the right position to get the right picture for that post, you know, um, 
And then you're sitting there and you're like, man, I need to get to that level of leanness to, to be as good as I can possibly be in this sport. And the reality of the situation is that's not true, right? Like there are some genetically gifted individuals in this, in this world that are going to run at a lower body fat percentage and still be just insanely fit. And there are going to be people that exist on a little bit of a higher level uh, of that body fat scale. And they're still incredibly fit. Right. Um, You know, I, I hope that people recognize or are, are, can recognize that there, there is sort of like a range there. And that if you focus on performance at the end of the day, like for the most part, the body composition will take care of itself to the level that it, like to the level that it should. And pushing it beyond that, you might be compromising your performance. Yeah. Because in the end of the day, or not in the end of the day, but essentially most people who are working with nutrition coaches at the elite level are not looking for aesthetics, but they're looking to become the best possible. And if that means getting right. more ripped or getting bigger or whatever it means, that doesn't really, right. really matter. I guess. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think the one type place where like athletes can kind of get themselves in trouble is, you know, so say you've got a bigger athlete that they're them and their, their they and their coach decide that they need to lose weight, right. To, to, um, be more competitive in the sport. You know, in my experience with people training four to five hours a day, it can be really, really hard to make the scale budge. Right. Yeah. Because the body's going to try desperately to hold on to that weight. And so if you reduce their macronutrient count, they, they oftentimes won't reduce body weight. Like sometimes they will, but sometimes they won't. And it, it can be a really frustrating experience for an athlete. And in my, my opinion as a nutrition coach in that situation is like, yeah, I mean, if you really want that scale to go down, you've got to change your training. You probably need to train less to allow for the, the to train less to lose weight. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very, um, it's very counterintuitive to their sort of like inner nature. So that's a situation where people can start to push themselves to extreme levels um, to try to lose weight and they will compromise their ultimate performance. I think by pushing too low and doing it for too long, you know, um, losing 12, 12, 15 pounds in a year is a huge stress on the body and you can look great and you can still perform well, but I guarantee you your CNS, like your central nervous system is going to be slightly fatigued from that process. Yeah. So Yeah. When you work with your clients, um, I, I, from my own experience, what I've seen with people in the gym is that it, it's easy to get a diet that looks great and maybe fits you well, but it's super hard for you to actually follow the steps because it requires great right. habits and those kind of things. Yep. So I would, I'm wondering how do you implement good habits for your clients or help them stay accountable to the diet yeah. or the guidelines that you've been giving them? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm going to tell you a story about this. Um, and, and, you know, when I first started out, I think I kind of ran like most nutrition coaches, like once a week check-ins. So I would have basically like a, you know, a Microsoft Excel document where people would fill in, you know, um, what their macros looked like, how many hours they slept, what they did in the gym that day. And we would review that once a week. And yeah, there were definitely some people that saw progress, but not nearly as much as I was looking for. And so a couple of years ago when I started working with Mackenzie Riley, you know, um, she, she's, she was like all over me as it relates to like communicating. So she was like texting and emailing and, you know, um, we were constantly making smart adjustments and I was helping her sort of with the, the mental aspects of like, yeah, I know I'm asking you to eat more to lose weight, 
it's going to be okay. Right. And like yeah. helping re- reassure her in that process. And sure enough, like she saw, she saw amazing results. Right. And so I started to like take that approach and expand it to other clients, you know, so instead of checking in once a week, I was checking in three times a week, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Wow. Um, yeah. And it doesn't take a huge amount of time just to buzz somebody a text and be like, Hey, how's it going? You know, I saw your food log. It looks great. Everything going okay in the gym. And if it's yet, then okay. You know, that conversation might be over in two minutes, three minutes. Right. Right. But if the conversation's like, yeah, actually, you know, um, I'm feeling a little hungry of late. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, hunger. So we bumped your cap, you know, your carbs 25 grams last week and you're feeling more hungry this week. That's a good sign. Like we can, we can continue to make this process happen faster. And so, you know, I found by the communicating more, a couple of different things happen. One, um, people were more accountable, right? It's really, really easy to kind of ignore like your food log. If you know, your coach is only going to check it on Friday. So maybe on Thursday night you go and you plug everything and you thought you ate over the course of the week in there. Um, and who knows if it's really accurate. But if you know that I'm going to look, you know, maybe five days, like just a quick peek to make sure that you filled the damn thing out, like you're going to go in and you're going to like track your food every day of the week. Yeah. And so, you know, that that small change, and it, in all honesty, it wasn't more time. It was just dividing that time out as opposed to spending like an hour a day on Friday to – 10 minutes a day, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you know, um, it incre- increased the level of accountability and the results that we saw with these athletes dramatically, like dramatically. And so that's sort of the approach that I've begun to take of, you know, um, breaking down weekly check-ins to much more frequent communications. The second thing is it does, is it allows for a relationship to build, right? Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, I'm like, I'm part of your daily routine. If you're getting a text message or an email from me three days a week, Right. And so now, now this person's opening up and they're not just talking about nutrition, but they're like, yeah, you know, uh, my, my husband was a real a-hole last night. Okay. Well, you know, I'm not a marriage counselor, but like, let's just talk about that. You know, let the person vent for 10 minutes about like what's going on in their life. And next thing you know, like they're back on their diet, uh, you know, that day, as opposed to, you know, um, letting, letting some sort of mental aspect distract them from everything. Yeah. So um, it's like a full-time, full-time counselor and everything. It, Yeah, man, any good nutrition coach will tell you that at least 50% of their job is being like a part-time therapist, man. Like yeah, you don't try to, you don't try to solve problems, but you definitely are there to listen for sure. <laughs> but it really does make sense because everything else is so much affected by the nutrition. And I think nutrition totally. is probably the easiest thing to slack on. Like yeah. you're always going to get your work done. You're always going to get your training done, <laughs> but you know, the nutrition, yeah. it's, it's just, I don't know. For me, it oh, feels easy. easier to just, you know, skip that or there's always oh, something absolutely. that's easier accessible or, you know. Absolutely, man. Well, like it, it makes sense. You know, um, the, there's a certain level of stress that's going to make people like stress eat, but then there's a to- totally different level of stress, like a chronic level of stress that shuts down like the desire. Yeah. You know, basically like, you know, your brain and your gut are highly connected and literally, you know, um, when people get so nervous, they can't eat. That's like their nervous system turning off their digestive process in a way. (laughs) And so like it's emotions and it's all of these things, but at the end of the day, it comes down to basic physiology too. And so, you know, it's, it's hard. It's a lot harder to criticize a person when you understand all those things, as opposed to just calling them like weak minded, right? It's not weak minded. It's their emotional response to situations. And your job as a nutrition coach is to help them through that, like not give them shit about it, but like actually help them, you know? So But you're right. Like, you know, 
very few people are going to be the, like are going to decide to not train at least at the higher level when stress hits. Like that's their stress relief. They're going to go to the gym, and if anything, they're going to beat themselves harder. Yeah. You know, so they're going to dump their diet instead. And so my job as the coach is to make sure that that doesn't happen as frequently as possible. Right. Yeah. Um, macro counting. Let's uh, sure. let's dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, would you have any specific guidelines? Let's say you're working with a male athlete, about yep. 90 kilos, that's about 200 pounds, who wants to go to regionals, who trains about two, three times a day. What would yep. be that the macros? Good. I know a guy who's yeah. pretty much like that. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you, I'm sure you do. Um, yeah. So the, there's some basic things that everybody can do. So, um, for protein, like the general rule, like in the U S because we use pounds is yep. about one gram per pound of body weight, right? Okay. In the metric system, it turns out to be about like two per kilo. So it's a little bit different. Um, but at, at the end of the day, you're looking for about a gram per pound of body weight. Um, and then from there, we just need to kind of figure out a total caloric goal. So for someone who's 200, you know, 200 pounds, you know, 98 kilos, we're probably going to be looking at about 200 grams of protein. Um, generally about half as many of that for grams of fat. So yeah. we want to have about an equal distribution of calories for protein and fat. And there's twice as many calories in a gram of fat as there is in a gram of carbs. So we'll say 200 grams of protein and then a hundred grams of fat. Yeah. And then carbs. You know, um, it's going to be a little bit dependent about what time of year it is and what kind of training they're doing, but a great place to start would probably be at least 400 to 450 grams of carbs per day. Wow. Um, yeah, especially, yeah, like easy, like easy numbers for sure. Um, and then, so now we're looking at, we'll say, we'll just keep numbers really simple. So 200 grams of protein, 100 grams of fat, uh, 400 grams of carbs. And then realistically, two days a week, we probably want to have what we call like a refeed, which is basically where we're going to take we're going to take our carbs up pretty substantially. So in that situation, probably like 500 grams of carbs. Would you do that um, on like rest days or would that be like on yeah. training days or? I, I'm a fan of doing it on rest days for the most part. And the reason for this is we want to have at least, we want to have at least one to two days a week where we really like top off like glycogen storage. So we basically want to like, it's like fueling your gas tank up like to the absolute brim in your car. Right. You know, so if you train, let's say three days on one day off, two days on one day off. So three, one, two, one template. You know, like even with 450 grams of carbs, you're probably not quite getting to like full saturation on that Wednesday, right? Okay. Um, so on Thursday, if you continue to eat and eat actually more than you do on a regular training day, you could basically give your body like the signal like, hey, don't worry. Like we've got plenty of food around us. Like it's okay to use your body fat as a fuel source. Like no need to like break down the muscle. Like let's save that stuff for the gym and let's go from there. That, you know, that's quite so a, I, I like two repeats. Yeah, that's, that's quite a cool, a fun approach because I think most people think, oh, okay, I'm not training that much today or today's my rest day. I should just eat like half of what I eat. Well, I mean, it's in the media too, right? So, yeah. um, you know, probably, probably one of the more high profile programs out there, like definitely drops carbs and fats pretty substantially on rest days. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sure enough, they, they definitely have some people out there that are, are looking like they've got eight packs and things like that. But um, I get a lot of business coming from people that tried that approach and can't make it work for them. Yeah. You know, they're just like, I have one client, I wrote, a, I wrote a short post about her. You know, she literally wouldn't take rest days because on her rest days, she basically wasn't allowed to eat any fat or carbs. What? And so like, yeah. So it's just an example of like how sideways can, things can go. This is a smart person. 
This is not like they're not by no means are they even remotely like unintelligent. They're probably one of the smarter people I've met in my entire life. But like when emotions get pulled into this game, you start to do stupid things like yeah. not taking rest days. <laughs> yeah, we've, I, I've seen that a lot as well. But the not eating yeah. any carbs yeah. or fat on rest days, that sounds like a dangerous yeah. combo. Yeah. So yeah, th- that's I, a pretty I, I, good tip. I don't want to get into it too much. but No, that's fine. <laughs> so I think... So far, we've had received a lot of good tips from you, for example, with the eating more carbs, refeeding on rest days, sleeping more, um, and just understanding how much stress can, ben- or stress can affect how you eat and everything. Let's talk a little bit about supplements, because I think sure. that's something a lot of people are confused about. We've already spoken about how like carb supplements and protein supplements straight after you know, a first training session yep. can be beneficial. But what other supplements like anti-inflammatory stuff and et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll just I'm going to start off by saying that no no amount of supplementation will replace a good night of sleep, right? So if before you go pouring you know hundreds of dollars into supplements, like take care of all that like easy stuff first, and then you can start to worry about these things. Yeah. Um, probably the unit like the, the easiest supplement to recommend is like an omega three supplement. So basically a fish oil. So um, things that are going to be anti-inflammatory help uh, with reducing systemic inflammation. Um, they're generally pretty safe. They're pretty easy to get a hold of. Um, and there's really very little downside to it. So something on the order of like one to two grams for a female, like an average size female, and two to four grams for, uh, for a guy is a great place to start with an omega-3 supplement. Okay. Um, when do you take that? So that's... Uh, so, you know, you could take that basically either morning or night, or you can do a split dosage. You know, um, for me, I, is people hate the flavor of this stuff, but I still like to use, um, a liquid versus pills just because it's a lot easier to kind of just shoot it down as opposed to taking maybe like six pills. Um, so, you know, brands out there. So Nordic naturals is probably the highest quality one that I know of. It's a kind of the Cadillac of, uh, of, of, um, of omega-3 supplements, really, really, really high quality, really high purity, um, and you can't go wrong there for sure. So that okay. would be my first recommendation. Cool. Um, the second one is that you probably want to look into some sort of like adrenal support. So again, CrossFit is an extremely stressful uh, endeavor, and most of the people that choose to pursue this lifestyle have a uh, sort of hard-charging profile, so they have a lot of other stresses in their life as well. Maybe you're a, a gym owner which as I think we all know is probably one of the more stressful things you can do to yourself. Um, and so some sort of way to support your adrenal health is a good idea. So there are these things out there that are called adaptogens. They're all herbal and um, they, they've made a big difference in a lot of the people that I work with. So I'm going to give sort of adaptogens. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to give some broad sort of like ingredient names as opposed to brand names here, because you guys have a international sort of audience and it's going to be very different like what yeah. brands you can get from, from country to country. So the, the big ones that I like are rhodiola. It's again, it's all herbal stuff. Um, so rhodiola, uh, holy basil, uh, and ashwagandha are sort of three that are going to be helpful for the, uh, the adrenal glands in the big picture. Yeah. This is something that you might want to help, um, you know, get a nutrition coach to help you with, or at least do some research online about when and how to take them for your, for your, your lifestyle. But for the most part, the rhodiola, you're going to want to take in the morning, like with breakfast to kind of help jumpstart your adrenal glands okay. um, in the morning. So yeah, with breakfast typically is a great way to make it happen. Um, 
So that's something that I've implemented with my clients, um, you know, thanks to learning from other people that are, that are in the business. And um, I've seen huge results with that for sure. Okay. So, so those are sort of two things that I think you can focus on. One is anything anti-inflammatory. So an omega-3 supplement can be really good. Um, you can talk about like a curcumin or turmeric, but sometimes people have sort of sort of like allergies, not allergies, um, have sensitivities to it. And then something to help support your adrenal glands, like a rhodiola supplement can be, can go a long way towards helping you in the long term. Okay, cool. That's some really good tips yeah. right there. I think one thing most of us struggle with, or especially me, is that we're not quite sure how much coffee we should be drinking <laughs> in a day and if, what the benefits and what the, yeah, the, op, the effects of coffee would be like if you drink too much or too little or do you even <laughs> sure. have to have it? Yeah. Good question. So, um, everybody's sensitivity to caffeine is a little bit different. So some people can, uh, have a cup of coffee and you can basically still like find the caffeine in their body, like upwards of 24 hours later. Other people can have a cup of coffee and you'll never even detect it in their system because they metabolize it so quickly. And those are the people that can have a cup of coffee, like, with dessert at like a restaurant at 11 o'clock and go to sleep at 1130. That's me. I don't understand. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand those people because if I have that, I'm going to be up all night long. So again, everyone's a little bit different here, but the general rule that I say with people is like two things. One, you don't want to have so much coffee that when you don't have coffee, you get a migraine or a headache. Okay. If you, if you do that much, basically means you have an addiction to that substance and now you're, you're, now you're dependent on it. Right. And like, I've definitely let it happen a couple of times in my life where like, I remember the last year the CrossFit games were in Los Angeles. The first day I was there by like two o'clock, I had this, just like this incredibly pounding headache. I was like, what is going on? And I was talking with my wife and she's like, yeah, have you had any coffee today? I was like, oh my God, that's <laughs> totally the problem. <laughs> and I recognized that I'd, I'd become completely dependent upon caffeine. Okay. Um, and then the, so again, so general rules, you don't want to become dependent upon it to the point that if when you don't have it, you have a headache. The second thing is that, you know, for the most part, a good rule is to not have any coffee after like two to 3 PM in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, that for most people, not everybody, but for most people will allow enough time for your body to fully metabolize it and it won't, it won't affect your sleep anymore. Right. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of coffee. Like it's a great performance enhancer, right? <laughs> There's, you can't argue with a caffeine stimulus making making the gym a little bit easier to get like get up for, right? So um, it just comes down to timing it the right way so that you're you're not affecting your sleep quality at the same time. Yeah. What um definitely. There's a lot of different coffee brands and special roasteries <laughs> and and all that kind of stuff out there, and. I'm not asking what, what your favorite coffee is, but I'm asking, is there a difference like health wise and benefit wise if you get a Starbucks coffee or you get, let's say, some special, speciality roastery luxury brand coffee? <laughs> it's like yeah, toxicity great, wise and, and those kind of things. It's a great question. Um, it's a really hard, it's a hard one to answer just because so many of like the, the, like the roasters that are out there, are just sort of buying generic, you know, coffee beans from locations and then putting their own little spin and roast on it and then throwing it in a bag, you know, but I think, yeah, I think, you know, like many of the other things that we talk about in nutrition, if you can find, you know, a good, like, I hate to use the word organic, but a source that you like know where it's actually come from and you know that it's like fair trade and things like that. And the people are not necessarily being taken advantage of while that coffee is being produced. Like, I think you've got a better chance of having a good product there. I'll be honest, it's not something I deal with a 
terrible lot with a lot of my clients, but in general, that's a good philosophy to take as a whole, I think. Okay. Mate, yeah. we always uh, finish off some of our podcast or all of our podcasts with an advice, an advice that you've been given throughout your life or something that you want to finish off with as, you know, a, a final tip or, or something that li the listeners can take away with them. <laughs> I had this one uh, advisor um, earlier in my life, and he basically he basically stole a quote from one of the U.S. presidents, which is that um, you know the, it's, it goes the quote: "Harder I work, the more luck I seem to have." Yeah, and so it's always stuck with me in the sense that you know um, don't just settle for like eighty percent if you want to be really great at something, whether it's being a great nutrition coach, whether it's being a great uh, athlete or, you know, uh, a regular coach, a gym affiliate owner or something like that, you know, um, and working hard doesn't necessarily always mean working longer. It can mean working smarter and like finding people that um, can allow for that to happen. So, you know, whether you're an athlete and that means finding a good programmer, programming coach or nutrition coach, um, you know, if you're in business, finding someone who's done it before and learning as much as you possibly can from them, but you know, work, work harder, but also work smarter as well. Yeah. Cool. That was really good advice. Yeah. How, um, you've mentioned quite a lot of articles that you are blog posts you've been writing. If people want sure. to read these or get in contact with you, sign up for your nutrition program, or just ask your questions. How does that happen? Yeah. Which platforms Absolutely. are you on and... Yeah, so the best way to probably reach me um, is through my website. So uh, it's M2, like Mike Malloy, uh, m2performancenutrition.com. Uh, on there, you'll find that um, there's access to the blog, there's access to email addresses, and there's uh, all the programs that we offer. Um, so if you have any questions or if any of this sounds uh, completely insane to you and you want to um, yell at me and tell me how crazy I am. Uh, that's the best way to find me. Uh, we do have Instagram pages and things like that for the, for the company as well as myself. Um, but that website is probably the best way to reach me. Cool. Well, um, awesome. again, thank you so much for taking your time to, to come on the show and we're really excited to share this podcast with everyone. Uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. Bye. Yeah, man, you too. Bye.